That's good because it's really hot up here because they turn those lights on and you feel it. I'm going to invite you guys to stand up for a sec because I know sitting for down for a long time is, is enjoyable when the quality is good, but it's also still sitting down for a long time. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me and we're going to have a prayer. <laughs> Father God, what a privilege it is to have any opportunity to have anything to do with you and what you're doing. I don't stand here because I deserve to stand here. And um, as we've been listening to these songs and these, these stories, it's funny how it, I just see you giving me these affirmations of what you've been telling me to share and the doubts that I've had about that. And you just keep reaffirming these things and telling me, just, just trust. Just trust and walk with me. And Lord, as we open your word today and I say, share some of my story with these people, these friends, I just pray that you would speak to each heart, Lord. Fill us with your spirit. Speak to me. Speak to us. And use me in some way for someone, for something for your good. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Alrighty. For those that don't know, my name's Robbie. And if this is the first time you've met me, you'll see me with a tie. And it's probably the last time you'll see me in a tie. And if you know me, you'll know that the only time you ever see me dressed like this is at a graduation or a wedding or a funeral. So we're going to survive. We're going to do this together. It's going to be okay. I'm not telling you that. I'm telling me that. Last night we had a beautiful number of things take place. The music was... How beautiful has the music been? It's been awesome, hey? And some of the items. And man, David's stories have been bringing me to tears or close to it. So I just want to thank you guys for that. And last night David shared some things that were profound. And it was great. I'm so glad I was here because... It meant I had to do less work, which was good, because I was going to try and defend some of the things that he said, but he did it for me. Winning. (laughs) So last night, David, just to summarize some of the things that he shared, I just want to emphasize this point. The, The theme this week is know, to know God and to be known by God. And in the Hebrew mindset, that is not a mere intellectual assent. The Hebrew word was yada. To know by experience, to know relationally, to know intimately, to know firsthand. And this is the word that's used to explain how Adam knows his wife and conceives, she conceives rather, and they have a child. It's experiential, it's intimate. And this is the very word that's used to describe how God wants to know us and he wants us to know him. And so what I want to share with you today is just a little bit about how. How do we experience that in some little sense? Now, that's a huge question. That's a huge topic, and there's no way I can address that entirely or even close to skimming the surface. But I want to share with you just a couple of brief thoughts today about what I think about this based on my experience and what I've learned from Scripture. So let's have a look at that, shall we? In Genesis chapter 1 through 3, we see this beautiful picture. We see this picture where God comes down to this earth that he's created, And we see him make these two human beings. Now think about this. If you were Adam and you were made out of the dust, and it says God breathes into his nostrils the breath of life, what is the very first thing you're going to see when you open those eyes? The face of God. He goes away and he creates Eve while this dude's asleep, and then when he's awakened, he brings her back. Well, what do you think was the first thing Eve got to see? The face of God, right? And we see in Genesis chapter 3 that even after the fall, what takes place is that God comes down, and in verse 8, I believe it is, he says that God comes down 
into the garden in the cool of the evening and he walks. And the experience of humanity at the beginning of time was that they walked with God. They saw him face to face. They had an interaction, a relationship, a journey with him that was together. You fast forward to the last chapter of the Bible and you see that picture restored. We see that God sends down this new Jerusalem. He recreates the earth and it says that God's throne is on the very earth. And it says that they see his face. Isn't that a beautiful picture? If you're not saying yes, I don't know why you're here this morning. That's a beautiful picture, are we? Is it not? Amen. But what about all those pages in between? What about the the pages that we're writing in our lives right now? In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, Paul says this. He says, for now we see in a mirror. Now think back to first century when he's writing. This wasn't a mirror like you see it today. You go into the bathroom in the morning and you, you look at your face and you see a very accurate picture of who you are. Think about the first century. They were not seeing through a clear mirror. This was probably like a... You ever looked like at a not well-polished sword? Or knife tried to get your reflection in a, in a car that hasn't been, hasn't been waxed? This is the kind of mirror he's talking about. It's not very clear. It's opaque. But it kind of gives you some sort of general idea. He says, Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then... On that day, with Jesus face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. So my question that I want to look at today is, what does it mean to know and be known by God now? Because then makes sense, the forward makes sense, but what about here right now? How can we know God in this life on that journey toward that day? Is that a fair question? All right. So what about now? So last night, David mentioned this beautiful, or maybe, well, yeah, that's great. You're both named David. I can just say David, and I'm right. Isn't that great? So David, I'll let you guess which one because I can't remember, said that in John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus is praying, and he says this profound thought. He said, this is eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life. It's not just quantitative, it's qualitative. To know God is what eternal life is. And in that sense, we can start living eternal life right now. Because we can know God starting right now. It may be dimly, but we can start that journey. So I want to turn, open your Bibles if you've got them, to Matthew chapter 19. Because there's another interaction between a man and Jesus where this gets described in similar clarity. So in Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 16, it says, Now behold, one came and said to him, that is Jesus, Good teacher, what good thing shall I, what? Shall I do that I may have eternal life? Isn't that a question that most of us have probably asked? All right, what do I got to do to get there? What do I got to do? What's the point? How many of you have, just talk to your neighbor for a moment. Let's do a little bit of interaction. Tell your neighbor one thing that you're excited about, about this idea of eternal life. Go. You have 15 seconds. I'm counting. Make sure you swap. That was 15 seconds. This is good. 
This is good. And you're still talking. I like this. This is good news. I'm glad you're excited. I'm excited about it too. Now raise your hand if, if what you said was something to do with Jesus. All right. Look around. We're all guilty. Raise your hand if you said something about anything else. That was all the rest of you, by the way. How often do we think about eternal life and we're not even thinking about the God who's bringing it? So he says this. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And this interaction takes place. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? There's only one good. It's God, etc., etc." And then he says, if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. And the guy's like, oh, well, which ones? Which ones? Probably to justify himself based on his response after this. And Jesus starts listing some commandments. Love your neighbor. Don't commit adultery. Do this. Do that. Do that. Don't do this. And then he says, I've done all these. I'm good. I'm sweet. And then Jesus says to him this. Oh, sorry. He's asked a question. He says, what do I still lack? Good question, right? So I keep the commandments of God. What do I still lack? And Jesus says this. Now, this is, this is profound. He says, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give to the poor. And then he says this. You will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. What do I still lack? Oh, yeah, yeah, do this, get rid of these things, and come follow me. Now think about this in the context of the first century. This is not like some platitude, some religious thing. This is a real man in a real place saying, come and actually live with me and among my people and follow me every day, learn what I teach, watch my miracles, be sent out with the other disciples, come breathe, eat, sleep, live with me. This is real, this is tangible. And what's interesting to me is the word that's used there, perfect, you might have the wrong idea about what that means. Because in the Greek, the word is teleos. The word is also translated complete. And the inference there is that this completion, this, this is the end goal, this is the aim, this is what you're working towards. Now think about this. He comes and says, what do I have to do to have eternal life? He says, keep the commandments. And then he says, what do I still lack? You miss the point. The point of all of that is to come physically walk with me. The point of all of those things is me in the flesh, real with you. The point of eternal life is to be with Jesus and the invitation is to come follow and be physically present. Is that profound? That does not negate the commandments, by the way. They are just as important. but In fact, they're more important because they're a part of what it is to follow him. But the point is Jesus. He's the completion. He's the, the end point, the aim. Now, this is the same invitation that was given to the other disciples. Come, follow me. And what did they do? Did they get in a car and they drive around? What did they do? How did they get from A to B? They walk. This is the means of travel in the first century unless you're like a Roman centurion. Walk with me. That's essentially what he's saying. Come, walk with me. And what I want to look at today with you is what does it mean to walk with God? And I want to share with you just three of my own stories and break down a verse for you and then make an appeal. So turn with me to this passage. This is where we're going to basically spend the rest of our time. Turn with me to Micah chapter 6. Micah chapter 6 verse 8. It's a very well-known passage in the Old Testament. 
where all those little books are that are hard to find and remember the names of. It's one of my very favorite passages of Scripture because I like to be practical. If I can't do something with it, it means nothing. And this is incredibly practical. Micah has this, this intercourse with God. He's, he says these things and he basically asks the same question that the guy was asking. What must I do to appease God? What must I bring to the table? And he gives all these suggestions that are local to the time and relevant to the culture. Do I sacrifice my children? Do I bring these sacrifices of bulls and offerings? And he's saying, what do I, what do, I do? And the response is very similar to what we just read. It says this, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but three things? Just three things. And he says it, they are these three things. To do justly, to love mercy, and what's that third one? To walk humbly with your God. Now, I don't want to spend any time talking about those first two, really, because do justice, love mercy, that's pretty straightforward, right? The commandments of God cover that. Does, does this have any interesting parallels to the story we just read of that rich young man? But that last one, that's the one that's hard to understand. What does it mean to walk humbly with your God? Well, I used to be a bushwalking and rock climbing instructor. That's what I used to do for a living. That was pretty exciting most of the time. And you learn a lot of things when you're walking. Interesting that Jesus says to him, come, follow me. The first thing you've got to know about walking is, does walking require effort? Yeah, I've got to get up off my seat, right? Now, if you're going to go ask, gentlemen, if you're going to go ask a young lady on a date, and you're like, oh, man, we're going to go for a walk on the beach, what do you have to do? You're all single, clearly. And unsuccessfully so. What are you going to do? You're going to ask her? Yes? No? Yes. Okay, good. There are some, some living bodies. You're going to ask her, right? And when you ask her, she has to then say, yes, otherwise you've got no date. Yeah? So you ask, and there's a response, but it's a choice. So when it says here, walk humbly with your God, the first thing you've got to remember is it's totally up to you. The invitation is extended. Jesus offered an invitation to the man. In the story, it says that the man was sorrowful and he went away. He didn't think it was worth the cost. He chose not to walk. But the offer is there, and the extension is there, and Jesus has made the offer to you, and he makes it again today. Come, follow me. Be my disciple. Walk with me. But it's an invitation. When we think about our stories, the story of our walk with God, if you will call it, often what we discuss is simply our conversion, right? We talk about, this was the moment where I, I had that transition and then that's my testimony, that's my story. Well, I'm, I'm going to share a little bit with you about my story, my walk with God over the last, how old am I now? I'm 30. I started walking with Jesus when I was 17. So however many maths that is. And I want to start with my conversion because that's a great place to start. I grew up in a, a, a loosely Adventist home. There were times where I had been involved in church at some degree and then there were times where I had nothing to do with church. Those to be totally honest with you, were my preferential times. And I came to this point where I was 16 years old. God wasn't really much on the radar at all. Wasn't involved in the family life. We'd moved to Las Vegas, of all places. And I was doing distance education, so my life consisted of this as a 16-year-old male. Uh, distance ed, so 
my school works online, and I play video games, and I ride my skateboard, and I play guitar, and I have no friends because I just moved to Las Vegas, and I don't have a school to go to to make friends. So what does a lonely 16-year-old boy do who's stuck on the computer all the time? Well, much like what David shared before, I got into pornography. And this was just, this was like the, the thing that I just did to cope with the fact that I just wasn't happy with where I was in my life. It was something to keep me interested. And pretty soon that longing for connection that you're not getting, you try to get it in this other way, and it starts to control your life. And I started actually distancing myself from my family, who were the only people really that I knew in the area, and just focusing on this addiction. And this became something that was an everyday, maybe multiple times a day thing. And for about six months of my life, this was my life. And I got to this point where I was up late one night, had some interactions with somebody online, did some things I'm not proud of. And I came to this point where I was sitting there and I realized where my life is going is not the place I want to go. Every time I make these decisions, the decisions get worse, they get more drastic, they get more perverse. One step doesn't just stop there, it leads to another step. And if I keep following this track that I'm going down, I know where it leads. And I don't want to go there. And at that point, I felt like the very presence of God had left. That was the darkest point I'd ever experienced in my life up to that point. And I was sitting in my bedroom, feeling in total darkness. And I don't know how to describe that to you in, a, in any real sense. Like, uh, so I guess that's why we use that term, because it sounds cliche. But, but it felt like a physical darkness was around me. It was just, it was like emptiness. I was numb. And at that point, I made a decision to just ask God. I can't tell you what I even asked. I have no idea. I just remember at that point, I wanted Jesus in my life to do something with my life. And at that point, I made a change. I chose to step into that walk. And I started to open the Bible because as far as I knew, that was the word of God. So that's a good place to start. I can't hear a voice. I don't know about you, but I've never heard the voice of God audibly. But I've heard it in the Word. And so I started opening the Bible, and every day I was trying to overcome these things. And let me just tell you a word to the wise, especially for you young, young people. I'm 30. It's not like getting over pornography uh, just, just happened overnight. And it's not like I don't have any scars and don't still struggle every day with the things that go on in my brain and the way that I behave. So a word to the wise for those of you, especially those who are young. It's going to screw up your life. And there's a way out of it. And if you want to know about that, come talk to me. Amen. And so I started following Jesus and reading my Bible. And the key was that I was willing. When it said do something, I did it. Amen. Praise the Lord. And I went to my parents and I said, I said, if you don't take me to church this weekend, I'm going to find a way to get there without you. And I was serious. <laughs> And praise the Lord, my parents being lovely people, good people, they took me to a church, and that changed the entire direction of my life. Amen. And I was welcomed into a church where some young people actually took, took notice of me, and I was accepted, and I was valued, and they said, hey, hey, come, come play, oh, you play guitar, come play with us, show us something. Amen. And it was just simple things like that, and I guarantee you from my experiences with church before, that if they hadn't done that, I wouldn't have stayed. Someone cared, and that's all it took, one person. So the invitation was there and I followed and praise the Lord, he led me out of that pornography addiction. And I gave my life to Jesus and I started to follow him. I started that walk, but it starts with a choice. So let's come back to the passage. Let's break this down some more. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy and to what? 
walk and walk humbly. What does it mean to walk humbly? Sometimes we think about humility in this false sense where humility is self-deprecation. I just talk myself down. That's not humility. Humility is recognizing the reality of your situation. I recognize the truth. And let me recognize a truth for you. When I gave my life to Jesus and I got baptized at 17, my life changed and it was dramatic. (laughs) It was drastic. And I praise the Lord for that. But let me tell you something. That wasn't the end of my journey, nor was it the last struggle that I ever had. It's not the last struggle I'm dealing with right now. That walk had to continue. And in fact, in my experience, most of my biggest struggles have happened since. My darkest times have have come after that. And I want to say that to you so that you're not getting a, a false perception of what that looks like. The reality is walking with God is not easy. But it's good. I was going to... I won't share that story. We won't share that. That's inappropriate. (laughs) Do you want... Is it okay to share an inappropriate story? Isn't that a great question? I thought so. I won't share it. I shared it at surf camp. Ask those guys. How can you... I learned a a lesson from bushwalking. If you want to know the story, come talk to me later. But when you walk with other people, it's important. If you're out on a bushwalk and you're having a problem... You're going to walk together as a group. If you have a problem, such as gastro in the bush, you need to communicate about that to the rest of the party. You can be super embarrassed, but if you're not transparent, guess who suffers? Everyone. (laughs) Everyone suffers. And I learned a valuable lesson out of that experience. I was too embarrassed to tell someone I was having some some health issues on this camp. And I learned that... um, it's worse if you're not transparent. If you're not honest, you can't get the help you need. So I, wanna, I just want to make a note there. When you walk with someone, you have to communicate. You have to be transparent. And the same is true of our walk with God. There are times on the journey with your walk with God where you're going to have to be honest with Him. Now you might ask a question. Why do I need to tell God anything? Because He already knows everything. Right? But let me tell you something. God doesn't force Himself on anyone. And while he may know already from a distance what's going on, he might know you personally in a, in a God sense, he's not going to force himself into your world. And if, if you open yourself up and you're transparent with God about what's really going on, what you're really thinking, what you're really feeling, I promise you that it, it will transform your walk with God. I want to share just a, another story on my journey. Fast forward, I've been following Jesus for years now. I went as a student missionary over to the Marshall Islands where uh, was mentioned today. Which How many of you know where the Marshall Islands are? Oh, wow, I'm impressed. There's more than two hands. I was expecting none. Even David's, even though he announced it. I worked out there for a year. And um, those people are very dear to my heart, so I'm stoked that we're doing something that's impacting them. I have friends there. And I did that, and then I came back to the States, and then I moved to Australia, and I worked in the outdoor recreation industry. And I got to a point in my life, I'd, I'd, I'd been working in Australia for six years as a climbing instructor at Avondale College, and I, I got to the end of this year, and it was a stressful year. And I got to the end of the year, and I'd been, um, been having some exciting things in life. You know, I had a girlfriend that was, I was really excited about, and work was really stressful, and I was involved in church, and it was all chaotic. And then I came to the end of that year, and something, something just shook my whole existence. I was on a trip home, and I got this message that one of my students fell off a cliff and died. 
And I can't tell you in a short amount of time what that did to me. Because I looked at that and I said, that was my fault. I trained him. And all of those questions that come into your mind, what if I'd said this that time? What if I did this? Was it, did I do a good enough job of assessing that? Maybe if I had done this differently, it wouldn't have happened. And I started to play this game where I made me the, the, the recipient of all the guilt. And I carried that, and I was too ashamed and too afraid to talk about it. David mentioned a, a quote from Brene Brown, who's an amazing researcher in social work. And she talks about the biggest barrier to our connection is our fear of being rejected. And so instead of me going and seeking a counselor, seeking help about this issue, I was too afraid it was my fault, so I was too afraid to get help. Because it's okay for everybody else to get help, but if I get help, that means something's wrong with me. And so I just held on to that shame, and I tried to do my work, and it just kept coming back, and I started to get anxiety, and I started to go back into throes of depression. And there were great people around me, I was involved in a great church, but it was always there. And I worked in, the, in that industry and back at college for two more years, and it got worse and worse. And I blamed myself so much for all of this, and I took it all on. And at the end of that period, I figured out, I just can't keep doing this. So what, what can I do? And um, there was a lot of pressure on me in my mind, because to stay in Australia, which I wanted to do, because I wanted to be in a relationship that I was in, which required me to be in Australia, obviously. To stay in Australia, I had to have my job that was stressing me out. Uh, to have a visa so I could stay in Australia. So you, so you see how it's all linked, right? A lot of pressure that you put on yourself. And I came to this point where I said, you know what, God, my walk with you is faltering. I'm depressed. I'm treating people poorly. I can't hack it. I'm waking up in the morning and my heart's still racing. I can't do this anymore. And so I said, God, okay, I'm going to be honest with you. If I could do anything I want, I want to grow my walk with you. And I said, you know... I don't want to go that journey alone, but I, and I made a decision on that, that day, and I said, you know, I know you've called me to some, sorm, some form of, of mission. And I've been holding off on that mission a long time because I didn't want to go alone, so I've been, you know, I've been trying to find a partner or something to do that with. And I, I remember distinctly, I said, all right, God, whatever happens, I'm willing to go now, even if it means I lose everything. And I said, I asked myself this question, I said, if I could do anything I want... And God would say, yes, what would I do? If you're ever asking the question about God's will in your life, I, I, I encourage you to ask yourself that question as a food for thought. If God, if God said yes to any option that was within you know, biblical constructs, right? What would I actually do? And I said, okay, well, I go to this Arise program. And there's a lot of like, how do I get there? Because to do that, I lose my job. I lose my job, I lose my visa. I can't be in Australia, I can't do Arise in Australia, right? <laughs> Obvious. And so I said, all right, God, I'm going to be transparent. I'm going to be honest with you. If you want me to go, I'm praying about some things. You just got to carry through for me. But if I get accepted in the program, I'm going to quit my job, apply for a visa. And if I get kicked out of the country because it doesn't come through, that's on you, bro. And, I'll, and you tell me where to go next. And I prayed. I got accepted. I quit my job with a reasonable amount of time because I love David Lowe. He's the best. And I went and I did the Arise program. You might think, oh man, praise the Lord. That was where the story just had its turn. Well, kind of. When I was at Arise, I experienced the lowest part of my entire life. 
lower than it was before. I've struggled with suicidal thoughts twice in my life, two periods of my life. One when I was a student at college for a short space of time, and once for a more prolonged period while I was at Arise. And I was there at this discipleship program with amazing people, with amazing teachings, doing outreach and trying to share Jesus with people in the community. And I would come home and I would be so depressed and so lonely. Not for, not, it's not like nobody tried. Everybody was there for me and supporting me. But I was just, was just locked in here. And I had an evening where I had to be really transparent with God. I just want to carry that, that humility a little bit further. And I said to God, well, let me do it this way. Let me tell the story this way. I was in an apartment in Kingscliff. I drive past it almost every day now, and it's a good reminder. And we sat up two, three floors up off the concrete, and I had a balcony in my own room. And I was lying in my bed, and I was sitting there, and I didn't feel safe because of the, the location of the balcony and the thoughts I was having. And I said, God, I don't want this. And I've been wrestling with these thoughts for weeks. Over and over again, these things just keep coming back. Thoughts I don't want to think. And I didn't feel safe. So I got in the car because I don't want to do that. I want to walk. I want to walk with my God. And I got in the car and I drove to Kingscliff Church. And if you had seen me on the road, you would have thought I was a madman. Windows were probably all down and I was in tears. I was crying. And I said this to God, whose shoulders are big enough. I said, you promised you'd help me. You better help me. You got to help me. And I drove to that church because it was the one place I felt like I might find it, feel some safety. And there was no one there. And I just walked around and um, I had my Bible open and I was claiming some promises, fighting the darkness that was coming. And nothing, nothing miraculous happened. I just, I just, I was just praying, God, you gotta, you gotta step in, man. I just can't do this anymore. I don't know how to deal with this. I don't know how to overcome this. You promised you'd help me, help me. Keep your word to me, please. I've been trying to follow you for 12 years. Just, just help me. And I calmed down enough to go home and, and go to sleep. And praise the Lord, I was transparent in that moment. I was totally humble and I said, I, I can't do it. I need help. And I'm willing to get help now. And the next day I got a phone call from my dad that I'd needed for 20 years. And he told me some things that he needed to tell me. I wrote, it meant so much to me that I wrote it down. And I can't, I can't tell you how, how, how amazing that answer to prayer was and how timely it was. And I didn't initiate it. That's the, that's the even more miraculous thing. I didn't say, hey, Dad, I need to hear this from you. He just started confessing some things to me and taking ownership and responsibility. He said some things I just needed to hear. Amen. And at that point, I said, all right. All right. We're going to do counseling. We're going to get this done. We're going we're gonna to walk forward and praise the Lord. I'm not there anymore. When you walk with someone, you have to be transparent about the issues that are in your life. If you're not transparent with God, you're hurting yourself. And there's something miraculous that happens when you allow God to know you. Obviously, he already knows the thoughts I'm thinking. Already, he, he's there. But there's something transcendent that happens when I tell him. It's like that connection that you feel with someone when you confess and you say it out loud and you, it transfers in your brain and they're still there. You know what I mean? So the first thing was to walk. It's a choice. You must choose to follow. Second thing, on that walk, you've got to communicate with God and you need to be transparent. 
If your prayer life consists of, dear God, thanks, do this, I'm out. You're missing out on the most transcendent part of my entire spiritual walk. And I would challenge you to be transparent with God and start telling him what you really think, what you really feel, and and start looking to express yourself to him. So walk humbly. But don't just walk humbly, walk humbly with. Now what I mean by that is that when you're walking with someone, it's not just about communication. Because if you're in a marriage, communication is really important, right? But if you communicate and then you don't act on what you said, is it any good? Yeah, that was no. I heard mostly ladies, but just remember that, fellas. (laughs) Cooperation is necessary. If we're going to walk humbly with God, we're going to need to develop some trust. I just want to share one one more story with you. (laughs) I believe in the power of prayer. I really believe in the power of prayer because I've seen it in my life. And, you know, the funny thing is I haven't seen like what you might call miracles, not like loaves turning into more loaves, but I've seen miracles through people in my life. And you can call them what you want. You can believe me or not believe me. I don't know. You don't even care, to be honest, because that's to me is the most profound thing in my life. When I finished Arise, I was like, man, what am I going to do next on this walk with God? I was feeling amped up and I was like, sweet. I walk into the, the office and Matt Parra is doing these interviews about people going on to do six months of volunteer stuff with Bible work and being in a Rise for Life participant. And uh, I go into the office and Matt, I love Matt. I walk in and he's just like, ah, oh, Robbie, I love you, man, but I can't afford you. <laughs> Your visa stuff's difficult, man. I just, I don't have a budget to put you on. So if you can figure out a way to stay and be a volunteer, we'd have you. Sweet. But if not, sorry, bro. And I was like, all right, there's answers to prayer, man. I'm out, and I'm moving back to the States, and I'm closing this chapter of my life, all these bad memories, all these struggles, and I'm moving on, and I'm going to do ministry. I'm going to work on my music, and uh, it's going to be great. And I was satisfied, let me tell you. There have seldom been weeks where I've been more satisfied than I was that week. I was content. I was like, I've got a direction for life. I'm going to visit people for two months, and I'm out. And I, I got itchy feet. You guys don't know it, but I got real itchy feet, man. I got I to move and wander and travel. It feels good. And so I decided I was going to do that. We come to the last night. Which night? Last. The last night. Friday night. We're going to finish tomorrow and then it's over. And I come up and Matt comes and starts chatting to me. And if any of you know Matt, you'll laugh because this is so Matt. And he comes up and he's like, ah, oh, da, 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 shooting the breeze, talking about stuff. And then he says, you know, Robbie, you got to understand with me, like, nothing's ever, like, really certain. Like, really, like, really? He goes, you know, I've just, I've just been thinking, um, just been thinking, it'd be really great to have you in a church. It'd be really great, like, at a, at a church plant, you know, you're, you're a musician, you're this, you're that, you can speak. Uh, we want to offer you two years of full-time work. And I was like, ah, no. But I kept it cool. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll have to think about that. Inside I was like, ah, no! Now you would think that wouldn't be a big deal, except what you don't know the part of the story is that I believe in the power of prayer, right? Well, I'd prayed months ago. When I first moved to do this Arise program, I was like, God, if you want me to stay in Australia, open the door because I can't stay. And I was, I was angry. 
I was very upset with God because I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be a Bible worker. I don't want to stay in Australia. I want to go home and I want to make my music. And I'm out. I said, so I'll think about it. But the thing about walking with someone is if you're going to stay with them, you've got to cooperate. And I knew in my innermost self that that was an answer to that prayer. So I, I spent two weeks of traveling up and visiting a friend. And the whole time I was just like, oh, I've got to do this. This sucks. And I called Matt up one day and I was like, all right, I'll take the job. He was like, yeah, sweet. <laughs> yeah, cool. We'll talk about it when you get back. And then I proceeded to go into Bible work. Now, when I went into Bible work, I hated it, eh? <laughs> I'm just going to be straight with you. I wasn't like those Church of Christ guys all excited and looking you in the eyes. I was like, every day I was literally crying. God, oh, don't make me do this, God. And I'd go out there and I'd be, I'd, I'd go and I'd give a Bible study and I'd be like, in tears, God used me, my life is meaningful. And then I'd get home the next day and be like, I hate my life, I'm depressed. And I hated it. And for the first six months of that Bible work position, and I met some amazing people, don't get me wrong. But that first six months, every other week, I was literally on the verge of quitting that job. And the only thing I held on to was that God told me to be here, just stay. Just cooperate. I don't have to be excited. He didn't say I have to be excited. It's probably better if I'm excited. I'll probably do a better job if I'm excited. But he didn't say that. All I got to do is be willing. And my, my good friend Akil, he was Bible working with me at the time. I was talking to him about it. And he was like, man, I don't get it. If you don't want to be here, just go. Just leave. Why stay? And, he, and I was like, you don't get it, bro. He told me to stay. I got to stay. <laughs> and praise the Lord. I trusted him enough to act on what he told me to do. And not just something that he told me to do in scripture, like keep the Ten Commandments, but something that he told me to do that I asked him about. Yeah. He said, stay. And I stayed. Yeah. And that's not a credit to me, that's a credit to Jesus. Yeah. Because somehow he, he transformed me, and if, if not for that six months, I would not be where I am today. And not just like in the literal physical speaking up the front, but like mentally. Yeah. And those of you that have known me for the last five years, you know that. The man I am today is a miraculously different man than the was I was five years ago. Hallelujah. And that is a miracle. <laughs> and it came about through service and through just being willing to do what I trusted that God had said to do. And he carried me through and transformed my life for it. So if you're going to go with, you need to cooperate. So you need to make a choice. You need to walk. You need to walk humbly. You need to be transparent and communicate with God two ways. You need to walk with him so when he says go... Just go. When he says, I'm going to do this for you, let him do it. But this is the best one. I didn't have to save it for last because it came last in grammar. <laughs> Good old English. What's the last one? He says, walk humbly with your God. Not a God, not God, your God. Check out this passage. This passage has been blowing my mind. I'm going to go, just, this is our last passage. Turn with me to Nahum. It's right after Micah. So if you're in Micah, turn like one or two pages and you'll find it. Nahum 1, chapter 1, verse 7. This verse has just been in my mind for weeks. Or at least as long as I've been working on the sermon. It says this, it says, the Lord is good, amen? Yeah. A stronghold in the day of trouble, amen? Yeah. 
And check this out. Now, this is weird. Does God know everything? Yeah, right? He knows your thoughts before you think them. He knows the words on your mouth before they're on your tongue. He knows how you were made. He was there shaping you in the womb, it says in Psalm 139. But then he says this. It says, and the Lord knows those who trust in him. He knows them personally, firsthand, experientially. Not, he doesn't say he knows everyone. What he says here is he knows those who trust in him. When you're going to walk with God, it can't just be forever this distant intellectual ascent of a God that's distant. At some point, he says, it's got to translate not just walk humbly with God, but walk humbly with your God. God is never going to be your God until you start to trust him. Guess what? Trust doesn't go like that. Trust isn't built in a moment. Trust is built in moments. Your walk with God is only going to grow so much as you're willing to take another step forward. Let him... Let him demonstrate his trustworthiness with one more thing. When he proves his trustworthiness, you let him do one more thing. One more thing. And I'm here to tell you that in my 13 years of following Jesus to where I am now today, the journey's not over. There's a lot of refining left to be done. There's a lot of walking left to be done. We're going to be walking with him, getting to know him together with him until he comes. I love that song that we sang before in the sweet by and by. Like It's great to look forward to that. But we look forward walking towards it. If you're going to wait for Jesus to come, don't wait passively, wait actively. If you're waiting to get married, you don't just sit around and wait for everybody to do the work. You do the preparation. You walk with them to that, to that moment. It's the same way with God. And if God's going to be your God, it's got to be a process. It's very clear from Scripture that God wants you. If God wants me, then guarantee he wants you. <laughs> when we looked at that story at the start in Matthew chapter 19, the issue was not whether Jesus wanted him, because what did Jesus say? Come follow me. Did Jesus want that man to be his follower? Of course he did. Jesus doesn't ask things he doesn't want to know the answer to. So when we look at that story... It's very interesting, the response. Because Jesus clearly wanted the man. If you look at verse 22, it says, But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful. He did what? He went away. For he had great possessions. He didn't trust or want to walk with Jesus more than he wanted something else. If you want to walk with God, if you want to know God, it's going to require you to make a choice. It's going to require you to communicate with Him two ways. And it's going to require that you are with Him and you cooperate. And you walk with Him, you journey on that, you wrestle with Him, you struggle together. That's how you're going to get to know Him personally. And trust is developed over a lifetime. It's not mere intellectual assent. In the book of James, it says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. That's not the kind of knowledge that matters. 
In John chapter 5, 39 and 40, Jesus says to church people, religious leaders and teachers, He says, you search the Scriptures, for you think that in them you have eternal life. But these are they which testify of Me. But you are not willing to come to Me that you may have life. The whole point is to walk with Jesus, is to know Him. So I'm just going to make a quick appeal here. You're going to spend some time, if you're here throughout the rest of the week, to learn more about the particulars of how to know God. But I want to just offer an opportunity to respond to what we've looked at today. If you've never accepted the invitation to walk with Jesus, Jesus is calling you right now. And He says, come, follow me. Answering that call will radically change your life. And it's not going to be easy. But I guarantee you it's better than whatever you've got. If you want to make that decision today, you want to say for the first time in your life, I want to accept and walk with Jesus. I just want you to raise your hand. Praise the Lord. Those that raise their hand for that, just come up the front after and see me. I want to pray for you. If you're already following Jesus, you're walking with Jesus, but you don't have a very communicative relationship and you want to start experiencing transparency before God. Not to just say, God already knows so I don't have to tell Him, but start bearing your soul to Him. And you want to start that and make that an everyday occurrence that I'm going to be honest with God. Just raise your hand that that's a commitment that you're making. And God is going to honor these commitments. I guarantee it. Beautiful. God bless you. And this last one applies to, I think, everybody. I've been thinking about this and I've been praying about it. And I know that for most of you, if not all, there is something in your life that God is asking you to trust Him with that you're not trusting Him with. I know there's that in my life. It's funny, when you start to trust Him, all of a sudden things somehow make a change. But if that's you, and you want to say to God, I'm ready to start figuring out how to trust you with this one thing. Now, I'm not saying, oh, you're at step whatever out of 100. Maybe you're at step 5 and you're like, I want to get right to 100 today. I want to commit all my finances and everything. I'm going to give it all up and I'm going to go and I'm going to move overseas right now today and give my life to all these things. I'm not asking you to make that decision. If God's telling you to make that decision, go for it. It's exciting. But just the next step, because we don't walk up mountains in one movement. The journey of a thousand miles begins with how many steps? One. And then it continues with how many steps? One. And then the next one. And then the next one. And I want you to take a moment now in prayer. And I want you to think about if there's anything that God has been impressing on your heart leading up to this camp for you to trust Him with. I want you to just take a moment right now and close your eyes And I want you to pray to him about that right now. I'm going to close with a prayer after that. So I invite you to pray now.